Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. If you're interested in getting some merch, visit my YouTube channel, or you can donate directly via Venmo or PayPal following the links in the description. You can submit case suggestions to southerngirlcrimestories at gmail.com or DM me on social media. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. Jared Wayne Chavis was born January 22, 1998, and was originally from Franklin, Louisiana. However, in 2017, at the age of 19, Jared moved to Houston, Texas to look for better opportunities. Jared had recently just finished 10 months in the Air Force when he moved in with his cousin and had gotten a general discharge from the service as it wasn't something he wanted to continue. He spoke to his mother, Angela, on the phone daily, and his father, Willie, often as well. He began taking online classes and working by installing satellite dishes. On January 12, 2018, just a few months after moving to Texas, he spoke to his mother about 9 p.m. as usual. But Angela had no way of knowing that may be the last time she spoke to her son. Less than two hours later, at 10.39 p.m., witnesses saw Jared get into a black Ford Focus or Fusion with three other men in the CVS parking lot on Westheimer Road in Houston. While Jared was in the back seat of the car, being driven by a man known only as Bolt Suave, an argument began and was followed by gunshots. However, no one witnessed Jared exiting the vehicle, and he has strangely not been seen since that night. Jared's car was located at a nearby gated apartment complex, unlocked, and had the seat covers removed. Unknowing the situation at the time, Jared's father received a call from his niece the next day to state that Jared had not come home and calls to his phone were going straight to voicemail. His father, Willie, headed straight down to Houston and spent a week searching for his son and could not get answers about where he could be. After speaking to others that were with Jared that night, his father reports that he got various and conflicting and ever-changing stories about the events of that night. But most of the stories involved Jared being shot in that car that night. Three months later, in April, Jared's son was born, and his parents get to spend a lot of time with him because his mother is also a member of the Air Force. Jared has a tattoo of his grandmother's name, Helen Welch, on his upper left arm, along with the date of her death. That same arm contains another tattoo that reads, No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Nine months after his disappearance, his father returned to Houston to continue the search for his son and put up a reward. An interesting discovery was posted by Web Sleuther RMT953 that may shed some light about more details of that night. This Web Sleuther came upon a news report dated the same night and exact same time the gunshot was heard in the same block where Jared was last seen. 
22-year-old William Chavez walked to a nearby check-cashing store near Westheimer and Fonda Roads around 11 p.m. after two unknown men jumped him, robbed him, and shot him in the arm. Police were called, and William was taken to the hospital, and the search began for the two suspects. This shooting, along with the car seats being strangely removed, possibly to remove evidence from Jared's car, leads one to question if he is actually one of the suspects that night instead of a victim. Is he a missing victim or a man on the run? His father stated that it's unknown what, if any, role Jared played in committing a crime before he vanished, but if he is on the run, that he should turn himself in. As far as the man known as Bolt Swab, his name was later removed from some of the law enforcement postings. Does that mean that law enforcement discovered who he was and were able to rule him out as a suspect? Also, there is a reward being offered for information about this case that leads to a conviction, and as of July 2022, Jared remains missing and this case remains unsolved. Marianne Borland Wilkinson was born in 1939 and would go on to graduate from Southern Methodist University in 1961, where she was a member of the Zeta Tau Alpha sorority. She was described as a dearly loved wife, mother of two children, and grandmother to four, who referred to her as Mimi. She enjoyed gardening as a certified master gardener and decorating her house as well as helping others. At the age of 68, she was living in the 8400 block of Spence Court in North Richland Hills, Texas, and was very active in her church in the nearby city of Keller. On the evening of December 9, 2007, a sudden tragedy would strike in her own home. Marianne was sitting at home with her husband Don of 46 years, watching the Dallas Cowboys and Detroit Lions game when the doorbell rang. Marianne got up to answer the door and was immediately shot multiple times by an unknown assailant who then fled in a gold-colored vehicle. Neighbors stated that they heard three or four gunshots and immediately called the police. Despite police arriving almost instantly and attempting to resuscitate her, Marianne died at the scene of the crime on her front porch. When the community could not fathom why anyone would want to hurt Marianne, a theory arose that a murderer was possibly randomly going door to door. But after a while, a neighbor from the next street over came forward with some new evidence. This neighbor, whose home shares the same number as Marianne's, but is one street away in a parallel cul-de-sac, told police that she was likely the intended target for the shooting. This neighbor reported that she had recently gone through a divorce where her and her ex-husband had a major complication around the ownership of a trucking company they ran during their marriage. Large amounts of money were at stake during this divorce, which led the neighbor to believe she was the intended target of a murder-for-hire attack. Three months after the senseless murder, a handgun was discovered on the 6500 block of Gerald Street at the intersection of Blend Street in North Richland Hills. Ballistics were conducted and confirmed that the gun was the one used to murder Marianne. The gun was traced back 29 years to a Mr. Harrison of Oklahoma who died in 1980. The gun's next owner was Mr. Harrison's roommate, Robert Fannin, a.k.a. Corvette Bob, who was also deceased. 
Police couldn't track down any other owners after Harrison and Fannin and are still looking for tips as to additional owners. After years of no movement on this case, Texas police reached out to Dr. John Bond, who had discovered an advanced method of fingerprinting which allowed detectives to lift fingerprints from metal surfaces, even if it's been wiped clean. Dr. Bond was able to produce a very good fingerprint from the shell casings, but still have found no match. Marion's case was featured on America's Most Wanted years ago, but no significant leads resulted from the airing of the show. In 2019, a DNA profile was developed from the gun, which means they can test and run it through various databases for a possible match. So far, however, they have had no positive hits just yet, but police have looked at three persons of interest. Their names are Dennis Taylor, Vincent Lane, and Willie Bowley. Little is known about Lane, but he may have been an associate of Taylor's. Dennis Taylor's wife is the alleged intended target's ex-husband, and Willie Bowley was believed to be an employee of his. However, Bowley was killed in Oklahoma City in 2013 following a domestic dispute with his girlfriend. The girlfriend told police that Bowley had been beating her when she shot him. Marion's loved ones continue to remember her and hope that one day justice will be served, but as of July 2022, this case remains unsolved. Jenna Ray Robbins was born January 24, 1980, and at the age of nine, she lived on North 4th Street in Killeen, Texas with her mother. On May 14, 1989, Jenna's mother asked her to go to the store with her, but Jenna asked to stay home instead and continue playing with her six-year-old friend outside. Her mother agreed, not knowing it would be the last time she would ever see her daughter. While the girls were playing, a man drove up and enticed Jenna into his car by offering to buy her a present. He then tried to entice the six-year-old as well, but she ran away. The six-year-old later told authorities that the car was a new-looking, light gray or silver two-door Dodge or Plymouth sedan. The car was last seen traveling west on Garrison Avenue, and the driver was described as white with brown hair slicked back and appeared to be in his early 20s. After her disappearance, another child told police someone had tried to lure her into his car just two days before Jenna's abduction. The child described her abductor, and he resembled the man who took Jenna, and she gave police her statement before the description of Jenna's abductor had been publicized. Because Jenna's parents were divorced, her father had to be ruled out as involved in her abduction and was ultimately cleared as a suspect. Sadly, as of July 2022, Jenna has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. On September 22, 1990, 12-year-old Derek Jackson, his 14-year-old brother James Edwards, their older brother, 23-year-old Layman Tyrone Jackson, and their mom, Linda Jackson, were all sound asleep in their apartment at 2612 McKinney Street in Vernon, Texas. At 5 a.m. the next morning, tragedy would strike. An intruder broke into the apartment and first shot Derek and James at point-blank range as they slept in the living room. They would both later die at the Wichita General Hospital. After the unknown assailant shot the young brothers, he turned his sights on their mother, Linda. 
Linda fought against the intruder with all her might, but was shot several times. Layman managed to escape through a window, unharmed, and called for help. Miraculously, Linda survived her injuries with the help of doctors. The killer was described as a heavy-set black male standing between 5'8 and 5'10. Neighbors heard the gunshots and called police. When investigators arrived, they found the door to the apartment unlocked and there was no sign of forced entry. A witness would eventually come forward and implicate Layman for the crime. Layman was then indicted and charged with attempted murder of his mother and capital murder of his two younger brothers. However, in December 1992, before a trial date was even set, the witness recanted their testimony and indicated that it wasn't true. District Attorney Dan Mike Bird said in 1992 that he had not given up on finding a murderer. However, as of today, the killer has never been found and this case remains unsolved. Deanna Mayfield was born February 2, 1977, to a less-than-desirable childhood in Killeen, Texas. Her mother was an alcoholic, and Deanna would bounce from one relative's home to another. In the summer of 1990, at the age of 13, Deanna would be staying with her grandmother on Alamo Avenue and was due to enter 8th grade at Fairway School in the fall. She was spending that summer at her grandmother's house because her family was having problems. She and her fraternal twin sister were separated and Deanna was reportedly being sexually abused. She was described as a free spirit and a streetwise rebellious teen. On the evening of July 21, 1990, Deanna and her grandmother stayed up late watching movies. Once her grandmother went to bed, Deanna sneaked out of the house and went to visit her twin sister, Rebecca, who lived with an uncle two and a half miles away at the Oak Springs Trailer Park in the 500 block of Dimple Street. Rebecca later stated that her sister arrived at the trailer park in a brown or bronze four-door vehicle driven by two white or Hispanic men at 3.30 a.m., Deanna knocked on the trailer window to wake up Rebecca, and the two girls talked for a while until their talking woke up their uncle, and Deanna quickly left in the vehicle with the men to never be seen by her sister again. In 1992, Rebecca got a collect phone call from someone who identified herself as Deanna. She accepted the call, but by the time they connected, the caller had hung up, but the call was traced to Horse Cave, Kentucky. It's unknown if the caller was indeed Deanna. Rebecca later discovered that the police in Hearst, Texas, ran Deanna's name and date of birth through their computer at a traffic stop in 1995. Between 2000 and 2002, a relative from out of state said Deanna had visited and said she wanted to stay hidden. The relative stated Deanna had also gotten several tattoos, but the sighting has never been verified. Rebecca has submitted her DNA in case any unidentified human remains needs tested for comparison, and she said she hopes Deanna is still alive and ran away to a better life. An age progression photo was created to show what she could possibly look like at the age of 39, and as of July 2022, Deanna has never been located, and this case remains unsolved. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. 
please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.